Hello and welcome back to the Sensational Sports Trio. This is your host, Liam Godmer, alongside my two friends and co-hosts, Will Peshek and Corey Picard, as we are back to discuss all things baseball, basketball, and football. Will, Corey, how are you guys doing? I'm doing good, you know, riding high off of the football season especially, but you know, I'm doing I'm doing good, as good as you can be during these these times. <laughs> yeah, you know, certainly not the best time because all of a sudden COVID was not a big of a factor in as or not I shouldn't say that it's gotten to the point where we are at what it was once like maybe around February and March um, the summertime months are behind us and I was expected so um, we're all taking the right precautions obviously doing this virtually now so what I wanted to trans uh, to start with was the breaking news out of the NBA that they'll be starting their season on December 22nd and how this impacts the rest of the sports leagues. Because you have both the NHL and the NBA, who resumed right around the same time, mm-hmm. and the NHL finished one week later, I'm sorry, one week earlier than the NBA did. The NHL crowned the Lightning the Stanley Cup champions while the Heat and the Celtics were still playing in the Eastern Conference Final. So now that the NBA is playing in December, the NHL, who's had one to two weeks off more, you would have to think – we're going to have an NHL announcement coming relatively soon. Yeah. You know, the one thing that stands out to me is that Adam Silver came out around a month, a month and a half ago and said, look, December 22nd is our start date. That's our target date. And that's when we're going to start playing. And, you know, you saw around the league, whether that was management, some owners were very against coming back so early. Uh, LeBron James, who won the NBA championship with the Los Angeles Lakers, you saw his reaction uh, went viral on social media, just how not disgusted, but, you know, just not in favor uh, of returning so soon after winning the NBA title. So, you know, you got to give credit much like Gary Bettman when he came back and he said, amid all the rumors that the NHL had no chance, of coming back he said we will award a stanley cup champion what happened they did adam silver came out a little while ago and said look we're gonna start on december 22nd and they do and as far as the nhl goes i think january 1st is still going to work but you got to remember guys you know the nba has the toronto raptors one team in canada and with the border being closed you know it's a little bit of an easier transition for basketball than it is for the nhl where they have to you know make it work with eight eight, nine uh, uh, Canadian teams with that border. So there's a lot of uh, little intricacies that go on uh, with starting the NHL season. But like I said, got to give credit to Adam Silver. And Corey, let us know what you think about that. Uh, You know, December 22nd, is that a good start date uh, for both the players and the owners? Yeah, as a fan, I'm excited that there's going to be basketball on Christmas. I think that's the main thing that Adam Silver's goal was because that's just such a it's a part of the tradition, honestly, at this point. It's, it's a great marketing tool for the NBA, but, you know, it's not a lot of rest for the teams that were just in the championship. They're used to three-plus months off. They're going to get two months rest. Um, but at the same time, there are, there are teams that haven't played since, April, since March, and there are players that are eager to get out on the court. And I, I think – I understand where LeBron James and especially the teams that made it deep into the playoffs are coming from. And, you know, as a fan, I'd like to see, I'm happy to see Christmas basketball, but they could have used a little more time off, you know, January start. It would have been fine. But again, I can't emphasize enough. I'm very excited to see basketball on Christmas because that, that really is the thing to watch when, when you're celebrating the holidays, when, when, 
when you're doing it, when you're opening presents, when you're eating dinner, whatever it is, I, I love just sitting down and watching basketball. <laughs> you bring up those, you know, that point about having basketball on Christmas, almost like a tradition, right? Every sport has their traditions. And just two weeks now from now, I was sitting on my living room couch eating turkey, watching the Lions play the Houston Texans, probably one of the worst football games you'll ever see on Thanksgiving Day, right? And then you go to Christmas, you have the NBA. And then New Year's Day, you have the Winter Classic for the NHL. So every, you know, every sport has their holiday traditions, but you bring up a good point when you say the players need their rest. We all know this, that hockey and basketball are two completely different sports. Hockey is much more physical than basketball, and it takes uh, – a more wear and tear and grind on your body. So should the NHL be in a rush to start their season? No. However, there's been rumors that they could start the NHL season with the Winter Classic. Now, that was since put to bed when they canceled the Winter or postponed, I should say, the Winter Classic. And what screws everything up is that Gary Bettman wants to have an 82-game season where the NBA came out and said they're going to have a 72-game season, which is 10 games shy of the original season, uh, I'm adding in that they weren't really playing, right? So Gary Benton wants to play a full 82-game season. Now, Liam and I know this, we spoke about it on our last podcast. As much as credit as we gave Gary Bettman, he should really consider making a shortened season because you play a full 82-game season, this screws up the season after that, the season after that, and the season after that. You want to get this season out of the way. If you have to play 50, 60 games, so be it. You know, you got to focus on the years after this year that are going to be majorly uh, impacted by this pandemic moving forward. And I'm not saying you got to play 72 games or 82 games. Just think about it. If you're going to start in January, the last time the NHL did that was in 2013, and they played 42 games. So, and we and 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 they crowned the champion. So maybe they should think about starting a 40, 50 game season because it's only only to screw up season after season after season. Because if you play 82 games and you start in January, you ain't finished until maybe July. And then a draft is not there. The agency is not there. You don't get the scouting time. So they need to get the seasons ahead of time back on track. Yeah, absolutely. And if you ask me where the NHL is going to end up, I'd say around 48 to 60 games. Uh, and there's no shame in having uh, a shortened season. If, Like you said, Will, the top priority for the National Hockey League and Gary Bettman has to be at the start of next year having things return to normal. I mean, look at the NBA. The NBA hasn't even held their, uh, their draft yet, and they're starting the earliest. Nor free agency. Or free agency. And, you know, they're starting in a little bit over a month. So, you know, everything is in flux right now. If you have to shorten the season, with the N- which the NHL is going to have to do, so be it. Do that and then move forward from there. I don't think anybody's really going to be uh, upset by that. And, you know, just a little side note here, uh, with the NHL's releasing of the reverse retro jerseys for all 31 NHL teams, you got to think that they're coming back this year if they want to make revenue off that. So they're going to be back. How many games has yet to be seen? And, you know, they got a battle with the Olympics uh, that's going on at the end of July. You know, you want to uh, crown a Stanley Cup champion before that so you don't have a dispute with NBC. So Gary Bettman has a lot to work out. There's actually supposed to be a call between the NHL Players Association and the NHL owners today. Uh, So we should get an update by the next time we uh, come back to speak, whether on the Sensational Sports Trio or the penalty box. Yeah, I I agree with everything you've said so far. I think the major thing is in the NBA – through 72 games, you're going to have contenders and not contenders. That's just how the NBA is. There's always 
a few teams that stick out from the rest that actually have a chance to win the championship. And in the NHL, you know, every last game matters. We saw the St. Louis Blues who were out of contention halfway through the season two years ago, and then they went on to win the Stanley Cup. So the NHL is different from that standpoint. I think I, I do agree that they will shorten the season. I think the one thing they will have to consider is expanding the playoffs again. Yeah, you know, that's something that's interesting. And you might have to because you look at the New Jersey Devils and you look at the Ottawa Senators, you look at the Detroit Red Wings and, and the Anaheim Ducks. By the time the season resumes, whether it's in a month, two months from now, they would have not played since March 7th. And to tell them you're only going to get 42 games is, is, is kind of like saying, well, this is your award for sucking. Put the pandemic aside. So they may have to do that. The NHL may say, and it's a very smart plan, I, I like it, every team makes the playoffs. And every team has a two-game uh, wild card, just like baseball did. And you have the best team, whether that's going to be, let's say, out of example, I'll use Tampa Bay Lightning. Number one will play 16. 16 from the east, 16 from the west. So one will play 16, two, 15, three, and, and, and so forth. And when you get down to the eight teams that you start the playoffs with, then they can go to the best of seven series. But I think what it'll be interesting to say every team makes the playoffs and you guaranteed a best of three series. Big season, a lot of excitement. The seed is going to be really fun. And they may have to do that because to say to the Red Wings and the, and the, the Kings and the Ducks, you're not making the playoffs this year because you guys are bad and you're only going to play 42 games with no preseason, let alone you're not going to have a postseason because you guys are so bad. They got to figure something out. I mean, that's just my. If I was Gary Dedman, I would consider that idea. I don't. I mean, the players would, you know, sign up for that. I mean, why not? You have two extra games guaranteed. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about that much of an extreme. I mean, look, when baseball did it with the different, you know, playoff format people were calling for Rob Manfred's head about the new playoff format and having teams like the Cincinnati Reds and the Milwaukee Brewers who were not even supposed to be in the playoff conversation have a chance against the Dodgers. And, oh, my gosh, how much the world would have blown up. Same with the Marlins. But what would have happened had the Brewers taken down the Dodgers? That would have been an absolute mess. But uh, I understand what you're saying. There has to be some changes made. And one interesting note uh, that goes along with your point, Will, was that one of the things that they are discussing today, and it's in uh, big consideration, uh, is having extra two weeks of training camps for those teams who haven't played in March. So the teams like Ottawa, the teams like Detroit, they will hit the ice two weeks before all the teams that made the 2014 playoffs uh, would have. So, you know, they have a little bit of a head start. They get a chance to get back into hockey form. So we will see what they do. Gary Bettman has to make some drastic changes this season. This is a season like no other. So everything is on the table, including uh, what you said there, Will. So. Yeah, let's move on to the topic that we can now discuss that's picking up full steam ahead, and that, of course, is the NFL, right? Corey's a happy camper today. The Miami Dolphins, who I certainly did not expect to be <laughs> over 500, let alone two games over 500, and in a contention for a wild card, enter week 10 at 5-3. and three. It's a pretty good record, if you ask me, for a team of quarterbacks named Brian Fitzpatrick and wide receivers named Devontae Parker, I think, is still on the team. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's so. The... Star, I guess you could say. <laughs> I'll say it, they're pretty much a money ball team. And they don't have, you know, a lot of high-end talent that you would think, aside from, of course, the headlining name of that team is, um, excuse me, Tua Tagovailoa. 
I hope you pronounce his last name, right? So <laughs> here you are, Corey, sitting at five and three. Are the playoffs becoming a reality? They definitely are. I mean, we have made it through the hardest part of our schedule, in my opinion, and in the opinion of most people. We beat the Rams and the Cardinals. We've already gotten the Seahawks out of the way. And the 49ers, we won. They beat the 49ers, too. We're going on to a four-game streak, which I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I know Brian Flores would preach the same one-game-at-a-time mentality, but we're going against the Chargers, the Broncos, the Jets, and the Bengals, which are all teams below 500, all teams that have not performed well, and I, I think are all definitely winnable games after seeing what, they, what the Dolphins did against the Cardinals, and, and especially the Cardinals. That was a huge game for me. That was the best team I believe we've played all season outside of maybe the Seahawks. And I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm happy. Tua was accurate, very accurate, and, and didn't make many mistakes. He threw – there was one play in the first half where he attempted to throw a ball away and almost got picked off. Luckily, the guy was out of bounds when he caught it. But other than that, doesn't make mistakes. He, I think he put all questions about his health to the side now because he, he's mobile, he's athletic, and he's, he's just as good as he was in college. And – you know, this wasn't the year we were supposed to contend. I wouldn't say we're going to contend for the Super Bowl by any means, but we're definitely in contention for a playoff spot at the least. Yeah, the wild card is, and, like, right up there. Yeah. And yeah, and, you're and we could compete. Home fields because I think the winner of, of each division yeah. gets home field, right? Yes. So, Unless we could somehow catch the Bills, who yeah. also look strong. But none. I think we could p- compete with a lot of teams right now. You know, keep a close game, maybe not beat them, but – this team has an edge, and it's very well coached to the point where it could compete. It may not be able to stop Patrick Mahomes, but I think we could stay within a possession for most of the game when that game comes up. But, again, that's very far ahead, one game at a time. But right now, sitting 5-3 and three as a seven seed that's tied with the Browns and Raiders, I'm happy. Liam, before you say uh, your take, before I, I, I want to say something before I lose my take. Um, Corey, you mentioned the, the upcoming schedule. The, the Chargers may be 2-6, and six, but they are a much better team than what their record shows. Absolutely. Um, Justin just Herbert, Keenan Allen, you know, they, for some reason, they're not playing great. I mean, you're, you're going to beat the Bengals. That's not a, a, a question to me, right? Uh, I, who else you say? You have I – mean, I, you, you play the, the Jets, Jets again, and the Broncos. And the Patriots yeah. again. Yeah. So that's later. That's after that streak was. Yeah. You have a lot of winnable games on that schedule. Liam, looking at what, the, uh, looking at what they did, and this is not a disrespect to the Dolphins, Corey, don't take this the wrong way, but you look at both rosters between our Jets and Corey's Dolphins, there really is a lot of similarities where they don't have a really headlining player on either of their team. And you look at what coaching can do to a team. Brian Flores is a, is a Belichick product, and we all know that some Belichick products don't turn out the way that they're supposed to turn out. But Brian Flores is turning out to be, in my opinion, I said out last year, he should have won Coach of the Year last year. He's going to win Coach of the Year this year if, if this pace continues up, or if he wins two more games. I said seven games got some Coach of the Year because of the roster that they have. So, Liam, look at both rosters. There's a lot of similarities where they're – no offense, Corey – the Dolphins and the Jets are both not really talented rosters right now. And the coach is making a big difference. 
Yeah, the Dolphins are a good team, and you can't take anything away from them. Remember, they're at five and three right now. They're chasing the Bills in the AFC East, who are seven and two. You know, many people predicted that the Buffalo Bills were going to run away easily uh, with the AFC East. And right now, and I think even most people thought that the Patriots would be ahead of the Dolphins in that. And the Patriots almost blew a game to the 0-8 Jets on Monday Night Football. So, you know, that's, that's really thing. You know, one thing that I said on last week's podcast was that if the Dolphins gave Tua a chance, and they allowed him to take over from Ryan Fitzpatrick and see what he has. And sure, there would be a chance that Tua would falter under the pressure. But what happened? You bring him into that game last week. He goes 20 for 28, throws under just under 300 yards. He has some good rushing yards. You know, this guy is starting to come into his own. And the big thing for me, and Corey, you mentioned it in your take, the injuries, it looks like it's behind them. And you cannot underestimate how far, A, a dynamic quarterback can take you, because remember, they run the offense. And like you said, Will, a coach in Brian Flores, who is a, a Bill Belichick product, who knows how to run a team well. And Will, the big point that you mentioned was how much of a coach can change the dynamic of two teams like the Dolphins and the Jets, how similar they are. Oh, I agree. One big thing with the Jets and the Dolphins, we have Sam Darnold, who's a bust. They have Tua, uh, who is going to be one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the AFC for years to come. But you see what Adam, if you put Adam Gase on the Dolphins and you put Brian Flores on the Jets, I think that the records, you know, tend to change a lot and maybe the Jets would be somewhat respectable. But Will, just for me and you, let's have faith in the fact that the Jets are 0-9 after nine weeks and the tank continues. And hopefully the Jets can be like the Dolphins Get a high stud quarterback in the draft, us getting Trevor Lawrence, the Dolphins having Tua, and just make the AFC East just a good race for years to come. But for right now, the Jets going 0-16 looks awfully feasible. Well, here's, here's what is crazy to me because I don't necessarily think that Bill Belichick wanted to ultimately lose to the Jets. Sure, that, you know, that would have been very embarrassing when you lose to an 0-8 team after that you've literally destroyed them for decade after decade after decade, right? But there's got to be a part of Bill Belichick is like saying, you know what, if we lose to the Jets and the Jets win, we're a game behind them for the first overall pick. So, and after all he's done to this franchise, he's resigned by writing on a napkin, on a napkin, I resign from HC of the NYJ. To Peyton Manning telling the Jets, I ain't coming to you guys. I'm going to go back to college. And here we are sitting here today with not another winnable game on the schedule, aside from, if you may, week 17 at New England, because the Patriots, in my opinion, are an absolute dumpster fire of a team right now. Cam Newton looked really good week one, week two, week three. But right now, he is not a very good quarterback. And I'll tell you something else. Every single time he threw the ball on Monday night, it seemed to go to Jacoby Myers. It's like Newton to Myers, Newton to Myers. I mean, the guy was wide open. Greg Williams' defense is either very hot or very cold. And for part of that game, they showed a little bit of both. And for part of that game, and Corey, we tested back and forth too. That was the Jets' like 15th roughing the passer penalty they've had all season. That's Greg Williams. Now, a part of me wants Adam Gase gone, yes. You cannot fire Adam Gase in the middle of the season because if they do, you got to guarantee the Jets will win one or two games. It just happens. When you fire a coach, teams tend to play better. So the Jets better not fire, and I, 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 I swear, Joe Douglas, the, the general manager of the Jets, he said 
that he wants to write the ship with Adam Gase and with Sam Donald. If you're a Jet fan out there that believes that 100%, that is BS. A general manager has to say that. A general manager cannot come out in the media and publicly say, you know what, Adam Gase is awful. Because we all know that. The media knows it. The players know it. The fans know it. Opposing teams know that. Opposing Vic Vangio even knows that. Or the the Denver Broncos knows that. Brian Flores knows that. The guy that he replaced knows that. And Todd Bowles knows that. He got it. He, could you imagine Todd Bowles right now? He lost his job to this guy. He lost his job to this guy. If if I was Todd Bowles, I would just retire on this because that's a big slap in the face. They're telling that uh, Todd Bowles, listen, bro. The team can't win with you, so we're going to replace you with Adam Gase. Like, that is the most disrespectful thing any franchise could do to somebody, is it not? Maybe it was all part of the plan. Maybe it was, let's hire Adam Gase, let's go 0-16 and get the best quarterback prospect in years and get Trevor Lawrence. I'm not just kidding. That's obviously not the case. And Todd Bowles, uh, yeah, you're right. He should uh, be embarrassed uh, that he was, he was taken off the team uh, in favor of Adam Gase. But bottom line is, and Will, I, I can't say how many times I've said this over the past four episodes, Adam Gase can't be the coach of the New York Jets. And if he is, this – uh, next year, I mean, you know, if you get Trevor Lawrence and you keep Adam Gase, that is a lateral move. The Jets don't get better. I don't see it. And I and Trevor Lawrence said to the Jets, and Corey, you could divulge into this too. Trevor Lawrence said in in, in the media about next year, he goes, you know, I want to keep my options open. Like I said with Adam, with, with the whole Douglas, uh, Joe Douglas situation, you cannot believe that. Trevor Lawrence's agent probably told him. If anybody asks you about the draft, just simply say, maybe, maybe not. Because if he says, yeah, I want to go to the draft, then you get teams like Jacksonville who say he's only saying this now because next year we're going to be in the same position the Jets are and he wants to avoid us. Or he could say, you know what, I'm going back to Clemson for a year. Then you have Jet fans saying he doesn't want to play for us. So the only answer he could say without getting killed for it is saying, I'll keep my options open. Because if you're a Clemson fan, you want him to say he's staying at Clemson. But if you're a Jet fan, a Jacksonville fan, you want him saying, I'm coming to the NFL draft. We all know it. He's coming to the NFL draft this year. It is not a doubt in my mind. And the Jets will have to get rid of Adam Gase with Trevor Lawrence if they want to have success. I don't know if you guys watched the game on Monday, but Denzel Mims looks very, very, very good. I mean, he is their best offensive weapon by far that they have. And you give him an actual good quarterback and a good head coach and reconstruct that offensive line. I, I know it's not going to be done overnight, wave some magic beans, but it's l looking bright in Florham Park in, in New Jersey. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you on the Trevor Lawrence part I mean he has to say he doesn't know yet because I mean he's 90% chance he's going in the NFL draft but he can't say that in the middle of his college football season where they were at the time the number one seed although they just lost because he was out <laughs> he is a generational talent and and I am concerned I don't want the Jets to get him and if the Jets get him they're they're uh, there's no way they keep Adam Gase there's no way <laughs> he just it just wouldn't 
make any sense. I, I actually think he'll make Adam Gase a better coach. Because <laughs> yeah, he's Adam, that good, but Adam that. Gase is still not a good coach. We can't have that conversation, Will. We can't have that conversation. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence will not be playing for Adam Gase. It's not, <laughs> I, I, there's no way he has a job at the end of the season. It right. just wouldn't I, make I, sense. I agree, but coming from a guy like Dabo Sweeney, who I, I, I don't want to say the guy's a great coach because look at the players he's had on that team, but Trevor Lawrence could easily say to Adam Gates, you really cool in this play? Third and 20, you want me to do a halfback screen to the Michael P. Ryan? Like, no, Trevor Lawrence, is, Trevor Lawrence is, is smart enough to do that. Sam Darnold, not so much, you know? So, but, Corey, what I wanted to ask you is if you are the Jets, how do you tell Sam Darnold you move it to hunt from him? You drafted him third overall. You made him captain. You gave him this really nice contract, set him up financially. How in the world? Do you tell this 22-year-old kid you're not being the franchise? And also, Joe Douglas said, yeah, Donald, we believe, is our franchise quarterback. Again, he has to say that. He can't bash a starting quarterback midseason. He can't say that. Oh, look. He's – Sam Donald isn't dumb. He's hearing the rumblings about Trevor Lawrence. He, he knows that there's a good chance they're going to move on from him. He, 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 he listens to the media – and at the same time, this isn't the first time this happened. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury came in to Arizona and moved on from their first-round pick one year, not even a full season of starts with Josh Rosen. And, you know, it happens. It's the NFL. He, he moved on to a guy with a lot more question marks than Trevor Lawrence and Kyler Murray. And he was not a definite prospect. He wasn't even supposed to be the number one pick in the draft. Trevor Lawrence has been this guy for four years now. And everybody has anticipated the day he gets drafted. I was looking past Tua myself to see Trevor Lawrence when the Dolphins were bad because I was just – I was hoping for it because he's that good. And Sam Darnold, he hasn't performed. He hasn't been the guy. And maybe there's other variables you can, you can say, but at the end of the day, it's him. It's his record. It's his stats. And he's not doing what he needs to do to get the job done. And – Trevor Lawrence is, is that guy. He ha, has been that guy. And if the Jets have the number one pick, which, again, if they get the number one pick, that's a reflection also on Sam Darnold, although he's been hurt. It's still a reflection on Sam Darnold in his ability if they're the worst team in the NFL. So that all adds up to making 100% sense to draft Trevor Lawrence. And if you somehow get the number one pick, any team that gets the number one pick this year doesn't draft Trevor Lawrence or doesn't trade it, those are the two options, say, a team – I don't even know. Some team that has a quarterback somehow gets the number one pick. They may trade it. But the number one pick of this year's draft will be Trevor Lawrence. Well, just a question for the both of you before we go on to baseball. Do you guys know what the tiebreaker is? If the, if the Jaguars and the Jets both finish 1-15, who gets the first overall pick? I believe it's strength of schedule, and I don't know. So then it would go to the Jets right because now. they had to play the Chiefs, the Seahawks, uh, the Raiders. Um, well, it's, it's whoever had the easier schedule because that would mean the they're even pick. worse. Yeah, because they'd be even worse if they lost with an easier schedule, you know. But I don't know. Because, you know, I'm sure both teams are probably similar in that aspect. I don't know. Well, Jacksonville – it all comes down to the end of the season. Jacksonville, they're not winning another game. I mean, they're not, they're not winning another game. I so, think they could. I mean, they, Texans, they, they took it close to the Texans. I, 
they have a better chance than Jets to win two games this season. Jacksonville uh, has sure. to win one more game before the Jets could lose a game before I'm comfortable. If Jacksonville wins Sunday, I'm like, okay, we could lose. We could win. Finally, I can root for my team to win. But I'm ready for the end. Liam knows that feeling too. Like right now, it's it's too close to say I want the Jets to win because of the team that they're chasing. The Patriots could have been the same. I swear. I was when, – when Nick Falk hit that field goal, I was doing this because I was so happy they lost to the Patriots. I, I want them to lose every game until Jacksonville wins another. Lean, am I wrong about that? Yeah, you know, looking at the schedule, I mean, for the Jets, they play the Chargers next week. And the Chargers, like you guys said, they've had an up-and-down season. You know, they've really underperformed. So the Jets could win that game. No, the Chargers are going to beat them handily. I, yeah, well, we said that about the Patriots uh, on Monday night, right? Yeah. You know, that Look, was- honestly, this is the NFL. Anything can happen. Yeah. They got the Dolphins. The Dolphins are going to beat us. The Raiders, I, th- I would have confidence the Raiders are going to beat us. The Seahawks are going to absolutely destroy us. The Rams could be a close game, probably still beat us. The Browns, you never know. And then you end the season against the Patriots. So I'm looking to week 16. That Browns matchup, you right. know. It'd be taking Browns fashion and lose. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know, and we saw. Thing. Yeah, continue. Yeah, we saw the Jets, who were pretty much out of the playoff race early last season, beat teams like the Cowboys and the Raiders, who were in the playoff race. So, you know, if a team like the Browns is in the playoff race week sixteen and loses to the Jets, that would just be perfect Browns, <laughs> perfect Jets. That just sum up their entire franchises in the last twenty years, honestly. And, you know, it's a shame because the tiebreaker for the NFL draft, like you guys were mentioning, one of the things is what uh, the result is if they had a head-to-head matchup. And, unfortunately, the Jets don't play the Jaguars this season. Uh, but, you know, wouldn't it just be the most New York Jets thing if they went 0-15 and then in Week 16 they played the Jaguars? They had to lose, and they absolutely blew them out, right? So uh, it, it all comes down to strength of schedule. And the Jets, uh, just looking at, you know, who they've played, I mean – yeah, it's been a tough schedule. Is it tougher than Jacksonville's? Who's to say, right? Let's talk about baseball now, Liam. You must be happy. Steve Cohen is officially the new owner of the New York Mets, and he said a quote that I think Mets fans will really enjoy. He said, you don't buy championships. You build them. Now, for Mets fans saying he's not going to spend, you're wrong. The guy can't get up, like we said it before. He can't get up in front of the media of New York where they kill you for everything you say as, as an athlete and say we're going to spend money like we're buying a zoo. You know, you can't say that publicly. We all know he's spending money. He might have more money than the Steinbrenners have. And right away, Mets are in trade talks with, with and for Francisco Lindor. Mets are in contention for Trevor Bauer. They're in contention for George Springer. This makes it more of a rivalry between the two New York teams. And we don't play each other a lot like the Yankees and Red Sox do to say it's a full-on rivalry. But now you have the other team in the state and in the same city outbidding you for players that you need, like a Trevor Bauer, like a Francisco Lindor. And it makes things a lot more entertaining. And, Lee, you got to feel good about yourself today as a Met fan. Uh, I feel fantastic uh, to have Steve Cohen at the helm. And, you know, the one big thing that they asked him is that what – team currently in Major League Baseball, do you want to replicate your franchise to be? 
and he said the LA Dodgers. And I know what everyone's going to think when he said the LA Dodgers. Oh, spend money willy-nilly because that's what they do. But look at what they've been able to build. Cody Bellinger come, came up through the system. Corey Seager came up through the system. Gavin Lux came up through the system. Max Muncie taken off of waivers from the Oakland Athletics batting a buck 50. Now he's a 40 home run hitter. Justin Turner coming from the New York Mets. I can tell you firsthand, he batted around 170 terrible defense. Now he came onto the field having COVID-19 celebrating a world championship in 2020. As much as they bought their stars, they built. They built these young players. Guys like Tony Gosselin, Julio Urias, Walker Bueller. This rotation was not bought. Steve Cohen is going to go out there. And look, the one big thing that I take away with the Mets, and I've said this on past podcasts, was this. They have a core right now of players that, if they implement the right outside pieces, can win a championship. Michael Conforto, a 300 hitter. Pete Alonso, the home run champion, hit but he can hit 40 to 50 home runs a season. Let's hope he can do that. Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball. Marcus Stroman just accepted the qualifying offer. Noah Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John surgery. Hopefully it will be better than ever. A bullpen with Edwin Diaz, who was one of the best relievers in the entire National League last season. You know, they have pieces here. They do. And if you can put the right pieces in free agency and trades around them. And look, let me just get something off my chest. Francisco Lindor has been one of the biggest trade talks uh, about going to the Yankees, going to the Mets, going, you know, pretty much anywhere. Cleveland said that they're going to trade him. The Mets do not need Francisco Lindor. Okay. We are going to have to sign him after one year to Mookie Betts type money, maybe a little bit less, but Mookie Betts type money. And you can allocate your, your finances elsewhere than, 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 uh, than uh, Lindor. You have Andres Jimenez, you have Ahmed Rosario, build around them, go into free agency. And the number one thing for me, JT Realmuto, I know I've said in the past that he's the number one guy, although I'd love to have him. He said he's not keen on playing in New York. That's unfortunate. You have to go out and get a guy like Yadier Molina on a two-year mm-hmm. deal, and the Mets and Yankees have expressed interest in Yadier Molina, so be it. If you have to go and get James McCann from the Chicago White Sox, so be it. And you can build in other areas. I've been on record saying I have no interest in Trevor Bauer. That still stands. I think if the Mets signed him to a four-year deal, I would be slightly disappointed because we would be allocating our money to the wrong place. Uh, George Springer, center fielder, we need him. Bring him in. So like I said, Steve Cohen knows what he's doing. He knows he has Sandy Alderson back as the president of baseball operations for the Mets. They're going to hire new management. And, you know, Steve Cohen came in and he fired 90% of the front office from the New York Mets. He completely tore it down. Is he going to tear down Luis Rojas? They probably said probably not, which was something I was wrong about in a past podcast. So Steve Cohen, bottom line, he's building something here. He has a core of players that can make a run, and you can't continue to waste Jacob DeGrom's prime years. He's the best pitcher in baseball, but for how long? And that has remained to be seen. So Steve Cohen has a lot of work ahead of him. I believe he'll be up to the task, and he's got to allocate his finances uh, to the right places. But Corey, Will, let me know what you think about Steve Cohen. Uh, Do you think he's going to turn this franchise around sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think he has the energy and the the attitude to do it. I, I, I like how he came in. He's just, he's saying it as it is. And he, he has that positive energy that honestly, it, it's something you love to see in sports, even though it's something as small as that. It's the type of energy you need to run an organization, whether it's a coach or a GM or an owner or anything. I, I like what I'm seeing from Steve Cohen. And you mentioned a lot of, a lot of things that the Mets have, like 
they have the assets, they have the pieces there. They just need a few stars. And like a George Springer now seems like the most likely candidate to, to be a Met, although you mentioned Francisco Lindor. George Springer is a free agent signing, so that's easier than a trade, obviously. And he is he could really, really enhance this lineup to something that's that's dangerous in the NL. And they already have the pitching. They have a, a decent bullpen that could use some work, but, you know, not that much work. They're not far away. And with a personality and, and a positivity like Steve Cohen has brought, I think, I think it's definitely possible that the Mets become, you know, contenders. You know, Will mentioned the rivalry. They could contend with the Yankees, although they don't play each other. It's still that New York rivalry that could be very interesting to watch. You know, you could watch the – their records go up and down for the next few years and just see, you know, Mets bragging rights, Yankees bragging rights, whoever has it. It'll be fun to watch. I think I like what I'm seeing out of, out of the Mets organization. They just need a few pieces. I think he has the, the, the intelligence, I guess, to bring them in. Yeah. Um, getting a guy like George Springer changes the whole Mets lineup. Because you get a guy like Springer, uh, my dog's gonna bark in a second, so someone may have to jump in. Someone's walking through the door. But you get a guy like Springer, he changes the whole part of that lineup. Because now you can move McNeil down, you can move Alonzo down, you could have Springer hit leadoff, clean up seven. It doesn't matter. The guy's that good to hit anywhere. But now, Corey, the Boston Red Sox have hired, rehired Alex Cora. Liam and I both spoke about the hiring of AJ Hinch and the hiring of Alex Cora. Personally, I'm a believer in you deserve a second chance because why should somebody look upon you as a person if you haven't truly changed? Like if Alex Cora is sorry for what he did, this wouldn't happen again. Quite frankly, I don't think he's sorry for what he did because that's a personality the guy has. However, I'm giving him a second chance. As a fan, I'm like, I want to give him a second chance and I bring the robbery back. So I, I love it for the Yankee side of it as well. But as a fan, Corey said you're not happy with the move. I, yeah, I don't, I, I get what you're saying about the second chance, but he was the likely the brains behind the entire operation. I don't want that as, associated with the Red Sox. And, and to bring him back just says that, oh, you know, we didn't get punished and we didn't really get punished like the Astros. You know, there's, there's still a lot out there, but you're okay with it if it happened. And I'm, I think it's likely that he cheated. If not in Boston, then definitely in Houston. And to say that you're okay with that kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't want that associated with the Red Sox. And I get giving him a second chance, but this is something that's that's bigger than sports, really. And it's I just don't want it to happen again. <laughs> and I, I don't want that that like dirtiness always in the background of the of the Red Sox team and is he a good coach I think he is a good coach like I think he knows baseball enough that he doesn't have to cheat to win but he did cheat and you can make the same case though for a guy like Carlos Beltran and a guy like AJ Hinch right yeah but they weren't the entire I, I really believe that Cora was the guy who came up with it and really really got it going and you could say AJ Hinch, AJ Hinch as the general man, as the manager of the, that team also maybe doesn't deserve a second chance, but Cora just seems like the, the, the dirtiest in this entire situation. And that 
I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I view Hinch as the, the puppet, you know? You know, Hinch, I, I, yeah. don't, I can't say that Hinch really was the guy who went to the clubhouse and said, look, you yeah. know, there's new technology. And if we do <laughs> this, and if we take this bat, and we take that trash can, and we bang it twice, we can hit more home runs. I don't think he did that. I think Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran, I think Corey's spot on. I think Cora was the dirtiest player in this game. He was the brains of the operation. And if there's really one of the coach that doesn't re- deserve to return, with all due respect, Corey, to return to managing a major league baseball team, it's Alex Cora. Sleazy. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, but you he's a great say, manager. He's a good manager for what Yeah, that's the thing. I, if he didn't cheat, I still think they could have some success. But the fact that he cheated is just not – it's not a good look by any means. And you could say that it's widespread around the league that just doesn't get noticed because it's not as successful. But you don't have the proof there. There haven't been investigations. There haven't been allegations. Um, that, that's a way of justifying it, but I just don't see justifying bringing him back when he's a known cheater. And it, it is concerning. Personally, if I were the Red Sox, I would not have hired Cora, but I think he deserves a second chance to manage elsewhere. And I like what they did with A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch went to a low-life Tigers team where you'll know. That's that's also a difference, yeah. Right. You'll know if they're cheating or not because you're not going to have guys like Austin Romine hit 30 home runs a season. It's just not going to happen, right? So, and there's a difference. Like his part of his punishment is you're going to the worst team in the American League Central, let alone the entire American League. Go to the hey, hey, the Red Sox were pretty bad last year too. Right, but they have a lot. It, of It's different. Yeah, I, I I was gonna say that too. Yeah, it, it's yeah, definitely they, different. It's like giving AJ Hinch the Astros job is essentially saying, okay, I sat down an abbreviated sixty game season, but <laughs> he deserves a second chance. Well, as well, his part of his punishment is. Go to the Tigers, but you can get your job back. But now that Cora's back with the Red Sox, it's kind of like all I had to do was essentially sit out a 60-game season where it might have been better because I didn't want to catch COVID. So it's essentially like Alex Cora opting out of the season to manage. That's essentially what the whole season uh, – his punishment was. I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah, you're right. He literally goes back to a very similar situation, although he's down Mookie Betts, which is significant loss, but a very similar situation – it's it's not really a punishment at this point. And, yeah, I, I mean, I think it became clearer and clearer as as the, the search went on that the Red Sox were going to go to Cora because it just got narrowed down, narrowed down, and it was always Alex Cora, always in the back of the mind. And I was just, like, thinking throughout the entire process, I was thinking, oh, man, it's going to be Cora. I don't want it to be Cora, but it's going to be him trying to come to terms with it, but I'm still not really okay with uh, – I'm really not loving the move. And what's funny is that the way that the Red Sox worded it when they fired him, it says the Red Sox have fired Alex Cora. They've mutually parted ways. Usually when you hear those things, you don't get rehired by the same exact team. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. it was different where in the, in the case for A.J. Hinch – he was fired by the Astros and was hired by the Tigers. And that's why Carlos Beltran to the Mets doesn't make any sense either because same thing, the Mets fired Carlos Beltran. 
So and, you, know, yeah. you know, I just don't know how many other teams in Major League Baseball would have had interest in Alex Cora to be their new manager. You know, sure, there was interest in A.J. Hinch because A.J. Hinch was a good manager before the cheating scandal. But Alex Cora, you know, it, it's, it's, just, it's just a little bit different. If, Al, if, if the Red Sox had decided to stick with Ron Renneke as the manager of the Boston Red Sox, I don't see Alex Cora having a job as a manager in Major League Baseball. I mean, tell me what you guys think about that. That's just that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, there's a lot of openings that, or not, you know, it's it because the White Sox had an opening, right? And they went to a 78-year-old Tony Larusa, which was really eye-opening to me. And now that leaves a really good manager in Rick Renteria, possibly available, wherein a guy like in the case of Alex Cora gave away a job for Rick Renteria, who's ultimately deserved a job more than Alex Cora has after the punishment. So it kind of, it kind of takes away something that doesn't make a lot of sense. But in my opinion, you do deserve a second chance in life, you know, uh, unless you kill somebody. That's a whole different story. But he cheated. You know, he, he, it's, he cheated. You know, teachers don't punish you for the rest of the class or the semester if you cheat on a test and if you get caught, right? It's a different comparison, but he cheated. He did his time, let alone be in a 60-game COVID-abbreviated season. Now he's back with the same Red Sox team that does not have Mookie Betts, which makes a big difference. However, he got his job back, and it's something that Red Sox fans and the Red Sox team itself could look forward to. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys have any other points, we're quickly running out of time here on the Zoom call. It's going to cut us off real quick. Corey, Will, any final thoughts here before we end the show? You guys good? Go Dolphins. <laughs> Dolphins, go Mets. Let's go get you. Let's go get them all. Oh, yeah. George Springer, Muto, everybody. <laughs> two futures that look brighter than, than they have been, at least right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, this has been the Sensational Sports Trio. This has been Will Pesci, Corey Picard, and Liam Gottimer. Until next week.